Thank you for joining us and for listening to our podcasts. We hope that this may enrich your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to share with you the damage that the heresy of a pre-tribulation rapture has done and will do. Because all of the details about the end that are not true, they're carefully designed by the spirit of error, Satan, to deceive God's true people in the last days. They're not just accidents. They're not just little mistakes that don't have much value, significance. I want to tell you the first thing that is very obvious that a pre-trib rapture has done, that that doctrine. Do you understand pre-trib? Before the tribulation, you're out of here. A simple little doctrine. Not so simple. It has succeeded in destroying the most prosperous, blessed, socially stable, and Christian nation that has ever existed in human history. What nation is that? The United States. There's no doubt. Uh, You know, most of us here are from Latin America. the, the other people are no bad, they're bad, they're the oppressors. <laughs> That's what they're telling you anyway, right? <laughs> I'm one of those oppressors. I hope I don't hurt you too bad. <laughs> but anyway, <clears throat> how did that little doctrine destroy the U.S.? How many think that the U.S. is going in a good direction right now? Promoting the butchering of little children? So then when they get to be teenagers and find out what they lost, that they can't have a normal life, they can't have a family, they can't get married, many of them will commit suicide. They're already doing it. It's already happening. Promoting that, promoting every evil thing on the, on the students from kindergarten through the university. Well, I already mentioned some of the things. It's beyond belief. But you know why that's happening? We're called by God to pray for our leaders. But it is well documented that 40 million Christians in the United States don't even vote for their leaders. And they've done surveys among those 40 million. And do you know what the reason is that they don't vote? Because they say the faster it is destroyed, the better, because we're out of here. They wanted it to go down fast so they would escape and go to heaven. 
Do you see what I'm saying? If 40 million Christians were to vote, the Biden administration nor any other group would have enough trailer trucks to bring the false ballots in to win the election. You understand? That's what they did. They, they didn't bring in trailer truck loads of ballots. Some of them didn't even have names on them. They only had van loads. You know vans? It's on video, them unloading in the middle of the night when they, the, the people counting were supposed to be taking a rest. They said they're tired, so first time in the history of the U.S. They closed down the counting from midnight to 6 o'clock in the morning. In Pennsylvania, Trump was ahead 700,000 votes. By morning, he was behind 70,000. Oh, no problem. But they have the camera where they unloaded the ballots. Unbelievable. But if 40 million Christians voted, we would have leaders, godly leaders, from coast to coast in every level of government. This nation would be more glorious than ever with God ruling through the Christians. Don't you believe so? But 40 million Christians have brought it down by not voting because they they're, they're ready to escape through the rapture. What a shock that they're going to have. But there's a future damage this doctrine is going to do, and it's even more terrible. What happens when the 40 million and millions of other Christians are now in the Great Tribulation, and it's primarily against Israel. There's no question. You can read that in the final victory. I have proof for that. But it also includes all of the Israelites that are outside, and that's us. We're part of Israel, right? And that's why the persecution against the church is getting worse by the day. The church is the problem. This government is saying the most dangerous people on, in the U.S., and they've said this for, for several years, the most dangerous, the Democrats, the most dangerous people in the U.S., the, worst, the da most dangerous terrorists are white, male, Christian conservatives. They're the danger. Well, what's going to happen when we're in the one world government and you can't buy or sell unless you receive the mark of the beast, what are the lukewarm Christians or Christians that just haven't been taught? What are they going to do? Well, my children have to eat. You know how important children are. They got to eat, and so do I, by the way. <laughs> and this couldn't possibly be the mark, because if it were the mark, I wouldn't be here. I, I know from all the teaching I've received that the rapture would have already taken us out of here if this is the one world government and the mark of the beast. So I'll receive it because it's not a big deal right now. But it's a big deal because the Bible says anyone who receives the mark will go to hell. There is no 
salvation. <clears throat> How many millions of Christians are going to take the mark? How many millions of Christians have never been willing to fast more than a few hours or maybe a day? But you know something? The one who distributed five loaves and two fishes, he's still alive. My wife and I had the privilege of helping to start a Bible school many years ago. We were the only ones living on campus. Well, I think, yeah, there was another couple, but we didn't see much of them. <clears throat> and he was working. I was working on the campus to help get the Bible school started. No income, no job, no one was paying me or my wife. And we had <clears throat> one little child, or two. Yeah, we had the, our first two, that's right. <clears throat> we lived there <clears throat> for three months with no income. <clears throat> our car was not registered any longer, so, and we didn't have the money to register it, so we couldn't take it out of the property. And yes, sometimes we missed a meal or two. But <clears throat> I don't think we ever fasted more than one day or two, right? for three months. It was one miracle after another miracle after another miracle. I mean, we didn't always eat steak. In fact, we never did. <laughs> An example, one guy didn't even know us. He came to check out the new Bible school that was getting prepared. <clears throat> and he said, oh, by the way, I'm the manager of the bakery at such and such a big grocery store. And I get to keep all the donuts from yesterday, so I have a trunk load. Would you like some donuts? Like two or three dozen, or, you know. Well, we'd have to think about it. They're not very healthy. And <laughs> oh, that would be fine, sir. Uh, thank you, thank you. We didn't tell him that we hadn't eaten for a while, or he'd have been back the next day and the next day. No, he came, I think, twice, right? during the three months. That was one of the examples of how God provided. Uh, uh, one of those nice little ravens. <laughs> well, God's going to do that again. No, nobody has to receive the mark. If you're a true Christian and have prepared your heart before the Lord in these last few months, you can be sure he'll, he's, he's going to keep us alive. He, he's, the Bible says, David said, I've never seen a godly man die from hunger or wanting, even wanting bread, lacking bread. He will provide. Do not receive any mark in your hand or your forehead, no matter what kind of a mark, a chip, a tattoo, or whatever it is. Don't let them touch you. Before that, let them kill you. Because <clears throat> if they do, you have hit the mark.
The Bible makes it clear. If they kill you, oh boy, the Bible says that you will reign with Christ during the millennium. That's an easy way to hit the mark, right? <clears throat> I've said for many years, and I mean it, it's not a joke. If today they were chopping heads off for being a Christian, I would ask my wife to go with me. Here I am. Let me put my head here. <laughs> I mean, if that's all I have to do to hit the mark for my life and please the Lord and be a martyr, boy, how easy. Because it's easier to die for Jesus than it is to live for him, especially in the last three and a half years. Amen? I want to give you a very quick summary of what's coming. As we saw, I hope that you can understand and believe that the, the Lord is the beginning and end, and what he does in the beginning, he also does it in the end. And the events of the first coming are being repeated in the second coming, even the witnesses being dead for three days. The, it's interesting, by the way, this is a little aside. Dicho sea de paso. The, I shouldn't have said that. Lost my, <laughs> lost my train of thought in English. <laughs> well. It'll come back, probably. But he repeats everything. Oh, I know what it was. <laughs> I'm not going to speak Spanish again. <laughs> the, it says that the witnesses were dead for three and a half days. That's interesting. Uh, the reason it's interesting is, you know, I've, I've shared for many years that Jesus was not crucified on Friday. The, the Gentiles who were totally ignorant of Scripture came up with that idea because they said the next day was a Sabbath. So it has to be Friday. He was crucified. Wait a minute. The next day was the Passover. And all of the seven feasts are Sabbaths, even if they're on Wednesday. You understand? If one of the feasts fall on Wednesday, it's a Sabbath. Well, the Passover was falling on Friday the next day, and Jesus was crucified on Thursday and buried. And he was in the grave Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. However, some people say he was crucified on Wednesday. I don't know if they use that scripture, but it's interesting that if he was literally in the earth, in the, in, in the grave, for exactly three days, three days of 24 hours, then it was three and a half days. Because he would have been crucified on Thursday afternoon. He died at three in the afternoon, the Bible tells us that. 
So from three in the afternoon to early Sunday morning is three and a half days. Interesting. I still don't favor it, but they're dead for three days. We know that. <laughs> it's amazing, right? Then, they're, then they rise from the dead. Is that just an accident? How many of you are convinced that's a repeat? And then they're caught up into the clouds. Are we convinced of that now or no? Are you still, well, most of you are still doubtful. How many, in seri seriously, how many can say, yeah, it's obvious that the events of the first coming are being repeated in the second? Are you convinced of that? Okay, most people are. How many agree, how many of you know that the events of the first, uh, of the beginning of the Old Testament with Moses, the 18 events we saw, are repeated in Jesus? How many are convinced of that? I mean, the scripture says so. I think you have your charts. You can read it. Everything that Moses did, it's right here. Most of it's in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. So, after the tribulation, we're taken up to be with the Lord as the martyrs after three and a half years, as the uh, witnesses. <clears throat> then after, of course, as we saw, 1996 is exactly seven weeks after the command to restore Jerusalem, restore the nation of Israel. It, and it just is by chance. 1996. Then we know that there are is a 30-year delay in the first coming after his birth. Thirty years after his birth, he began to minister for three and a half years. Then on the biblical new year of 2026, that's after the 30 years from 1996, and Jesus began to minister on the new year of the year 26. So this is exactly 2,000 years later, 2026, the, the witnesses will begin to minister 2,000 years after Jesus began to minister. The death of the witnesses then would be three and a half years later, which is in A.D. 2030, exactly 2,000 years after Jesus was crucified. As we saw in Joshua, remember, the church follows the ark 2,000 cubits back. It's, it's behind the ark by 2,000 cubits. 2,000 years and uh, we also will cross the Jordan and enter the promised land. The organization that is making plans for a one world government, how many of you have heard of it? Very few. <clears throat> it is uh, called the World Economic Forum, WEF. It has the support of many of the world's richest billionaires. This is not a, a little group of nobodies. Bill Gates is in it. 
Zuckerberg from the Facebook. And you know, an interesting thing about uh, Facebook, and I've shared that it's going to be a big problem for people who are in it. How many of you know it has a different name now? What's the name? And you have no idea what Meta means, right? You Latin Americans have no clue what Meta is? Huh? Uh, does someone here know he, uh, Spanish? <laughs> meta? What's meta? Goal. The goal. And have you ever seen his logo? Meta, and what's in front of meta? Haven't noticed, huh? An eight lying down. Who has who studied mathematics here? What is an eight lying down? Infinity. His infinite goal is having the whole world under his influence. He's part of the WEF. He and Bill Gates and many other billionaires. They're not a bunch of little nobodies who don't know what they're doing. They've got it all planned. I've seen, by chance, I saw uh, on a TV or somewhere one of their meetings in Davos, Switzerland. Unbelievable. What they say is clear. They say, for 20, the year 2030, you will own nothing but what? Some of you know, right? But you will be happy. I just happened to see on the TV their top medical doctor explaining why everyone is going to be happy. Because they now know how to change your DNA. They know how to put a gene in there that will make you happy and easily controlled. And the doctor mocked God, said he needed thousands of millions of years to evolve us, but we can do it in a few minutes. We don't need him anymore. That's what they said. We're heading to that. Their goal is 2030. Just by chance, that's when Daniel tells us the Lord will return. He's going to frustrate their plans and humble them greatly. It's not going to work. Egypt is not going to take control. The world, that is. Amen. <clears throat> the tribulation is for three and a half years, and immediately after that great tribulation, he says the saints will be gathered with the sound of a great trumpet. I think that's pretty clear. I can give you about probably 20, 25 more scriptures that clearly tell us we're here for the duration until the battle is won. 
and the land is conquered, just like in the beginning in the journey of Israel. Paul said that's what will be our example in the end. Israel didn't say, well, we never want to go into the Holy Land. They finally learned that God is sovereign. He's able to defeat any enemy. And they went in, and the battle was the Lord's. He took care of everyone. They weren't losing people in the battles. Only the wicked were losing their, their armies. <clears throat> I want to just give you a, a little example for a few minutes. We're going to take a rest. But um, regarding the idea of 6,000 years from the, the biblical chronology from Moses, I'm, I'm sorry, from Adam to the Messiah, to the coming of the Lord. You know, people mock, well, we know the science, the earth is millions of years old. Yeah, well, I'm a scientist and I studied it. In fact, I was the first class that ever received the idea of evolution in the schools of the United States. I was in the 11th grade and it was in 1960 and Russia had just launched their first satellite and we were trembling. And they said, well, that's, and the wicked said, that's because they believe in science and we believe in creationism. That's foolishness. We got to get back to science or we're going to lose this war in space. So that year, we got the first evolution book in biology class. It was this thick, unprinted, uh, letter size pa paper. They did it that fast. It wasn't a real book. It was just stapled together. <clears throat> and from then on, we went downhill. People mock at the idea that the Earth's only 6,000 years old. Well, the Earth could be older, but from Adam was created 6,000 years ago. There's absolute scientific, indubitable proof that this system, this solar system, is only 6,000 thousand years old. Let me give you just two simple proofs that are beyond dispute. The United States is obviously very concerned about erosion. They know approximately how many tons of topsoil get, get washed into the Mississippi River every year. They haven't measured and very close. They know how many tons. They also know and have a very accurate measure, measurement of the Mississippi Delta. What makes a delta at the end of a river? The, the topsoil, the erosion, right? What it's carrying downstream. Well, just by chance, the delta has about 4,500 years of deposit from erosion. Just by chance. Oh, well, we can ignore that, can't we? That tells us a very simple thing. The Mississippi River was created not by billions of years, but by the runoff from the flood of Noah. And so it only was formed about 4,000, 4,500 years ago. That's a fact. 
Also, I have a book from NASA, NASA <clears throat> that admitted <clears throat> they know how much meteorite dust falls on the Earth and also falls on the moon. They can't claim that there's erosion on the moon because there's no atmosphere, no water. And they actually were afraid, based on millions and billions of years, the solar system has existed, they were afraid that when they landed on the moon, they would sink into 25 feet of meteorite dust because they know how much falls on the moon every year. So it was easy to calculate. Guess how deep the meteorite dust was on the moon? They tell us. They, they admitted it. One-eighth of an inch. Six thousand years worth. They know this, but they hate God and they're not willing to humble themselves and say, we don't know everything. And obviously evolution is a total myth and farce. And I have scientific proof, 15 of them, that that's the way it is. It's absolute, indisputable scientific proof. Using their numbers, the DNA, and how many mutations happened, happen in every millions of cell divisions. They know exactly how many. <clears throat> with their numbers, not our own, with their numbers to go from that simple cell that just happened to show up in an ocean somewhere, which, by the way, it's so simple, the most simple cell. I have a biology book about the basic cell. It's only one inch thick, telling all the in intricate details of one little tiny simple cell. What's all involved? I mean, for a start, 200 different substances had to be encircled by this extremely complex cellular wall. Because without the 200 substances inside, the cell can't reproduce. So it just, you know, one miracle after another, but that doesn't matter. Let's say that it got the cell. Okay, so the cell's there. How long would it take for mutations to change that one little cell into one cell in the human body? And there are four different, 400 different kinds of cells in the human body, but just one. How long would it take? According to their numbers, not mine. It's so awesome that the scientists reject God and hate him. And they're going to hate him more when they're in hell forever. But with their numbers, just one cell produced for the human body would take five quintillion years. You know what that is? It's um, five with 18 zeros. They say the Earth's three billion years old. Well, it's not billion, it's not five trillion, it's not five quadrillion, it's five quintillion. You understand? It's a number beyond our imagination. In other words, it's totally impossible, and they know it's impossible. It's scientifically proven to be impossible, but as George Wald said, 
I choose not to believe in God. I'm going to believe the impossible. He's probably in hell today. He said that in 1967. He's the uh, Nobel Chemistry Prize winner. Anyway, 6,000 years according to biblical chronology, according to science today, 6,000 years since Adam till 1996. Okay, Barnabas wrote an epistle. It has been proven beyond doubt to be authentic, that he did write it. It's proven it was used in the early church as inspired scripture. So there's no question where it came from. The gospel of Barnabas is a middle age fraud. Don't read it. So-called gospel of Barnabas. No, this is the epistle of Barnabas. It's, uh, I believe, 13 chapters long. You can get it off the internet. It's available for free. Barnabas, the, the apostle with Paul, his friend, states in his book, in his epistle, that from Adam till the Messiah will be 6,000 years. Clearly, they knew that at least 2,000 years ago, but it's believed that the Jews have believed that since the days of Moses. Why do they believe it? Moses said that a day is a thousand years and that man will do all of his works for six days and then man's going to rest for one day, a thousand years, and that's right in Revelation, a thousand years of rest, the kingdom of God on the earth. So 6,000 years to the Messiah was 1996, just by chance. When we moved to Israel in 1994, the Jews had sometimes had people in the street with signs saying the Messiah is at hand. He's coming very, very soon. They believed that he was going to come in 1996 because they know there's an error in their calendar. I talked to a rabbi, and, uh, it, which was a miracle, because I, I wasn't wearing a kippah, and if you don't have a kippah, and you're not an observant Jew, a rabbi, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not, he's not going to even talk to you. You're a heathen. You're evil. <laughs> this guy opened up, and I said, well, you know, what about your calendar? Do you, do you know that there's a, a mistake? He says, of course we know there's a mistake in our calendar. And we were going to fix it. And some years ago, we decided to have a meeting with the major rabbis. And he was one of them. The major rabbis in Israel, and we were going to correct our calendar to show that we were coming up on the 6,000th year. That's the idea. That was the idea. He said, but you know, where there are two Jews, there are three opinions. We couldn't even agree on where we were going to meet. <laughs> so they didn't change their calendar. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> well, the Messiah did come that year. 1996. But not the way we thought. It's just like the first time he came in Israel... It wasn't the way they could have even imagined. A little baby in a manger? They would have never thought that one through or figured it out. 
Now the church cannot imagine that he's coming in a spiritual birth. Or he already did. That's just beyond our imagination. We can't accept it. I'll come back to that. But in no way am I saying that Jesus will never come physically. He definitely will come physically and reign over this earth. He will bring down the wicked. The person had asked, well, will, will, would it all happen before he comes or after? It'll happen before and after. You understand? But the church is going to bring the enemies, all the different enemies, under his feet. But then he's going to do the finish work. Find the mop up. <clears throat> We're going to take a break, but let me read you this. If you have any doubts about 1996. Is it nothing more than a coincidence that 96 is exactly 6,000 years after the creation of Adam according to biblical chronology, not according to false science, the Bible calls it? <clears throat> is it a coincidence that World War II took place between 1940 and 1945 when six million Jews were murdered? I was in Israel giving a tour to Hebron people. Maybe one or two or, you, or three of you were in the group, but way back. And we were coming up to the Holocaust Museum. You, you've heard of it? Yad Vashem, the pictures of what happened. I mean, absolute documented facts. And hardened people walk through there and they're weeping their heads off when they see it. It makes a great impact. And so I wanted to prepare the <clears throat> people in our group. And so I gathered them run. We were like a block from the museum, ready to walk over there and go in. And I was about to say to them what I learned as a young boy in our church. I remember I was young just after Israel was created as a nation and people came to our church and showed pictures of what happened. This is just after the war. I mean, the impact. And that basically it said, this is what happens when you reject the Lord. So I was about to say that. What you are about to see is what happens when a nation rejects the Lord. And the Holy Spirit literally, one of the few times he's done it, a few times he has, but this was beyond my belief. I opened my mouth to say this is what happens when you reject the Lord. And here's what came out. You are about to witness the highest price that has ever been paid for a homeland. 
six million Jews, and the world was still not wanting to give them their homeland. It wasn't enough. But God said, that's enough price. They're getting their homeland. And you know why Israel ended up with their homeland? You're never going to believe this, but it's absolutely true, and Israel knows it. It's because of the Guatemalan government. Because of the president, that he, he sent a man to the newly created United Nations, an eloquent ambassador, very eloquent. I have his book. Because the president, Arevalo, loved the Jews. The, the, the Latin American countries were going to vote against the Jews. So the president said, look, you are to go and you convince them to vote in favor of the Jews. He succeeded. And there were enough votes, not too many more, but enough to pass the resolution that gave Israel back the right. No, they, were, they, lived, they were living there. They lived there since Joshua. This whole idea that they took over someone else's land, that's a total lie. And what did they give them? I mean, it was an enormous nation. In the middle, it was two miles wide. Land that the Jews already owned. <clears throat> and then six nations the next day, after they declared their nationhood, attacked with Great Britain's help. To, they were going to annihilate the 600,000 Jews. Six nations, they had, they had jets, they had airplanes, they had bombs, they had tanks. <clears throat> Israel had almost nothing. They had 10,000 old guns. Guess who won? God alone could have caused them to win. Five, six nations with the supervision of Great Britain behind all their generals and armies and hundreds of thousands of soldiers against 600,000 civilians total. They attacked. Israel not only survived, but they defeated them. That's what our God can do. That's what your God can do. And he's going to do it for us if we choose him. World War, II, World War II took place between 1940 and 45. Is it a coincidence that the UN gave the command to restore the nation of Israel exactly seven weeks, 49 years before 1996? Pure coincidence. I'm sure they didn't even have a clue. The date... The date was basically the new year, it was the biblical new year. It was unbelievable. <clears throat> and Daniel said that the Messiah would come after seven, seven weeks after that declaration to restore Israel. Is it a coincidence that 1996 was exactly 2,000 years after his, his birth in the first coming? It's all coincidences, right? If you don't have any faith and you can't see. 
Imagine how all the events surrounding the command in 1947 had to be controlled by God. He was pushing all the buttons and moving all the knobs. He had to decide when the war would be, when the Holocaust would be, when the end of the war would come, when the UN would be formed. And one little detail that's unbelievable. I mean, Guatemala not only convinced enough people, enough nations to vote for Israel that they won the vote, but they did something else. The UN has the rule that anything they're going to vote on, they have to have two people motion it. I motion that we vote on this resolution. But the first motion can only come from one of the five members of the Security Council. You know, Russia, the U.S., uh, China, uh, France, and Germany. I think it is. Oh, no, Great Britain. One of those ambassadors have to pass, make a motion. You understand? <clears throat> they had set the date, the final date, and the hour when if they didn't come to an agreement to vote, if nobody motion, set, made a motion to vote, <clears throat> they would never deal with the issue again about Israel being a nation. They came to the last day, and they were about one hour from the limit when it was just going to, the whole subject was going to be ignored from then on. Israel, no. And President Truman sent a telegram to his ambassador and said, make a motion to vote. Like an hour before the deadline. And Jorge Granado, Granados quickly said, I second the motion from Guatemala. <laughs> there was, they weren't sure there'd, there'd be a second. It was Jorge Garcia Granados, the ambassador. I second it. They had to take the vote. Israel won. <laughs> That's our God. <laughs> Only he can do that. And exactly 2,000 years after his first coming, not coincidences, they're God's handiwork, his providence, Amen. his authority. Amen. Let's take a, a rest. Thank you for listening to Hebron Ministries podcasts. Christ in us is the hope of glory. We hope that Christ may be glorified in the church. If you would like to know more about Hebron Ministries International, please visit us at www.hebronministries.com. Thank you.